Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We're just glad we could contribute in a small way. Amen. Galatians chapter number five, verse number 22 this morning. The Bible says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. My focus really today will be upon a phrase of verse 23 primarily, kind of leading into and introducing us into the fruit of the Spirit. The last phrase there said, against such, that is the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. This morning, if I were to entitle this, I would like to call it this today. Spirit abiding citizens are law abiding citizens. Spirit abiding citizens are law abiding citizens can we pray together lord would help us in the next few moments father i love you today god i'm so grateful lord to come here to worship god to praise your name we're thankful god for the people lord that are here today starting their new year in the presence of the lord i pray oh god this morning touch every mind every heart god in this place this morning let your word do what your word can do it will go forth do that which it was sent to accomplish lord we have confidence in that Lord, I know, Lord Jesus, you have to help us, God, not just this week and the weeks to come. Lord, as we just, Lord, unfold, Lord God, the fruit of the Spirit, God, through your word. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. 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 You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. The fruit of the Spirit is our series, and spirit-abiding citizens are law-abiding citizens is our focus today. The book of Galatians, and particularly in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is contrasting two different aspects of a Christian's life throughout the book of Galatians, but here particularly in Galatians chapter number 5. If you were to read it, you would see some contrasting uh, words or contrasting aspects that Paul is speaking about. He speaks about bondage, and he speaks about liberty. He mentions law, and then on the flip side, he will mention grace. He talks about our flesh, and he also talks about the Spirit, namely the Spirit of God. He talks about, in the verses that we are considering and those before, he talks about works, but he also talks about then fruit. And he does this with certain purpose for the Galatia believers. He does this uh, not just whimsically taking a subject matter, but he has some very intent and certain purpose that he does this for. One reason, if we can just get a little background to the Galatia believers, they had once been a very barbaric and hostile type of people. They were very fierce nomadic people and warriors that were known to question everything that they came in contact with. As a matter of fact, for centuries, they plundered their way through the Greek and the Roman empires, and they finally settled in an area that was just north of the Mediterranean Sea, and it would soon become known as Galatia. And in Acts 13 and 14, we read 
about the Apostle Paul and some of his missionary journeys through Galatia and through some of the cities of Galatia. He and Barnabas had went uh, propagating the gospel in this particular area in the southern part of Galatia in Acts 13 and 14. And it was during Paul's first missionary journey that he instructed churches there. He established some churches there in the cities of Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. He established some. He instructed some. And out of these four cities, they kind of formed a little fellowship, if you will, kind of the churches of Galatia fellowship that they had. And with that being said, Paul then would later address the book of Galatians or the letter or epistle of Galatians to these churches that he helped establish, if not also instruct. And so the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13, as he's traveling through an area and he goes to Antioch and he goes to the Jewish synagogue in Antioch, he begins to tell the people, the Jews in Antioch, he, he tells them about the history of the children of Israel, as Paul oftentimes did. Paul could not hardly ever start just with the present. He had to reach all the way back to Adam, it seemed like, and tell the story all the way up to the present. And I think me and he and I share just a little thread, maybe. I, I see people up there laughing. But nevertheless, uh, he, he stretched all the way back to the Israelites when they were in Egypt and in bondage. And he ministered to them from that point, their history all the way up to Jesus Christ, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he tells them along this journey that he took them on, he tells them about the various deliverers that they had and judges that they had. He tells them about the kings that served and capacities over them as a nation. And he brings them all the way up, though, then to the point of from deliverers to judges to kings to a savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, who was of the seed of David. And Paul even told them in Galatians, or in Acts rather 13, he tells these Jews in Antioch, he says, to you is the word of this salvation sin. He tells them the promise which was made unto the fathers. God had fulfilled the same unto us, their children. Now he's talking to a group of Jews that have lived in an error and under a dispensation and a time of the law. But the promise that Paul was talking to them about of their fathers was not concerning the law. The promise that the fathers received wasn't about the law. The promise that they were spoken to about was about the best deliverer they would ever have the fairest judge they would ever have, the highest king that would ever rule over them. The promise was about a savior, namely Jesus Christ. And consequently, the saving power that was in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And so Paul told these Jews, he said, through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. He even states, and, and if you haven't noticed, we can't use a screen this morning, so use these screens right here. Amen. In Acts 13 and verse 39, Paul tells them, and by him, meaning Christ, all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul are telling these Jews that lived under the era, under the era of the law, he's telling them you can be justified by Jesus Christ what you could not be justified by the law. Justification. Uh, a neat little uh, device that we use. Uh, there's some big words in Scripture. Justification, glorification, sanctification. We have all these words. Justification, a good little breakdown of justification. It's just as if you did not do anything that you had done in your past that was negative or wrong or against God. 
So he says, you can, you can be justified. All that clean slated away, Robert, went through Jesus Christ when trying attempt to keep the law all of the 613 some odd laws of the Old Testament, whenever all of that trying to keep and abide by all those could never do that for you, you can believe in the Lord, receive the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, and all, he can do what none of those 613 some odd commandments could do in your life. You could not be justified by the law, but you can be justified by Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus can do what the law could not do. But he goes on in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, and he speaks these words. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so he tells us what the weakness of the law is, the weakness of the law is this, is that you're trying to keep the law through your flesh. And Galatians 5 plainly tells us what the outworkings of the flesh are. Well, they're adulteries and they're, they're lying and they're cheating and they're all these other things. You cannot keep totally the law because your flesh has a propensity to do those things that are negative to do those things that are after the nature of Adam. And so the weakness of the, the weakness of the law is that you cannot keep it in your flesh. But if you can get in the spirit, if you can get in the spirit and the spirit get in you, here is the miracle. You can keep the righteousness of the law when you get in the spirit and the spirit gets in you because why? You're not walking after the flesh, which can never please God. You're walking after the spirit. Romans and Galatians are two very similar books, very similar books. They're almost parallel books. As a matter of fact, they say a lot of the same stuff. Just Paul said it a whole lot shorter in Galatians than he did in Romans. They say a lot of the same stuff. But whenever you read the book of Romans, Romans is concerning the work of the Son of God, Christ Jesus, the work of the Son of God for us. But when you turn over to Galatians, it is the work of the Spirit of God in us. In one, we learn about what he did for us, but then we learn about what he can do in and through us. And so the weakness of the law is that the law gave us a standard to be able to measure ourselves by. Amen. And whenever, because until the law came, people were oblivious of whether or not they were sinners or sinning or not. But whenever the law came, it gave us a standard where we could measure our lives by. And so that measurement said, as we measured ourselves, we seen we were slacking concerning keeping the law. But again, the weakness of the law is this. The law could tell you was wrong, but the law could do nothing about your wrongness. It could say that you were a sinner, but it could not do anything about your sin. And so we couldn't keep the law perfectly, so all the law could do would leave us condemned as wrong. Keep us condemned as sinners. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 and 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never, everybody say never, never. can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect or that they would mature anywhere beyond where they presently were at. 
Even the Hebrews writer said in Hebrews 7 and verse 19, for the law made nothing. Everybody say nothing. The law made nothing perfect or mature, if you will. But the bringing in of a better hope did. That better hope that the writer of Hebrews is referring to is Jesus Christ. The law couldn't do it. Nothing, never. But a better hope that was coming, Christ Jesus did, by which we draw nigh unto God. And so here it is, folks. Uh, whether you're, you're young in this or you're old in this, when we try to practice the law in our flesh, we fail miserably. We get out our list of do's and don'ts, per se, in the scripture, and we try to keep that to the best of our ability in our flesh. You will fail time after time miserably, and you'll be ridden with guilt, and you'll be ridden with shame as a result of your failure. As a matter of fact, many times people find themselves in no better condition than what they were when they first attempted to try to keep the law in their flesh. But when Jesus, here's the story of redemption and justification for us. But when Jesus as a man in his flesh lived out his perfect undefiled life in obedience to the law, and he accomplished what no other person had accomplished nor any person will ever accomplish. When he did that, he took the sin that was in the flesh of humanity and at Calvary he nailed it to the cross through his crucifix and because of that, Bishop, now because of that, you and I can be successful. You and I can succeed concerning the righteousness of the law or the right living of the law. And the way we succeed is not because I succeed in my flesh in keeping the law. Not because I've done enough work in order to grant good graces from God by keeping this in my flesh. But I succeed because I'm not walking in the flesh. I'm walking in the spirit that I've received from God. I'm walking in the spirit of the man who did successfully keep the law. And whenever that happens, me as a spirit-abiding citizen automatically becomes a law-abiding citizen because I'm walking in the precepts and the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ because I'm walking in the spirit. And so where you could not do those things before, where, where the things that you couldn't do, you did, now the things that you couldn't do, you abstain from doing. Why? You're walking in the spirit. The things that you should have done, but you didn't do, and you failed miserably. Now the things that you shouldn't do, you don't do. The things that you should do, you should do. Why? Because you're walking in the Spirit. You're saying, I did that. No, you didn't do that. But the Spirit of Christ that is in you is living his life through you and making you a spirit and law-abiding citizen in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so when we receive the Holy Ghost, we receive the Holy Ghost. As we oftentimes say, you know, that's a birth certificate. That is by no means uh, the, 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 the laurel of the reward at the end of the race. That's a start. When you receive the Holy Ghost and you yield to that spirit of the Holy Ghost, the life of the one who succeeded lives his life, his character, his virtues in and through us. Here is the purpose of the law according to Galatians 3. Paul said in Galatians 3 and verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, it's our teacher, to bring us unto Christ 
that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster or teacher. Now, now here is the thing. He said the law, the law was our teacher. The law taught us this. We're sinners. The law taught us we were sinners. The law couldn't do nothing about our sin. And since it couldn't do anything about our sin, we're left being sinners. We're saying, what can I do about my condition? And so we're looking for an answer. We're searching for a remedy to the problem. The law couldn't do it. So it was teaching us that we are sinners. But what that did is cause us to look out and look for something that could take care of it. What that did would cause us to go on the search, namely for Christ being able to be the answer. Whenever he came, we were justified by faith. By faith what? By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then by the obedience that comes about through faith. Uh, let, let me pause here for a moment. Uh, we got to also be careful, and you've heard me say this before, you got to be very careful about just taking one verse or one phrase in Scripture and saying this, this is the doctrine of it all. Uh, the doctrine of Martin Luther was justification by faith, nothing more, nothing less. Just have faith and believe and you're justified. Well, I got a bone to pick with just that concept that it's just faith by itself. Because when I read other places of Scripture, for instance, Romans 3, 24, the Bible says being justified freely by His grace. So it's not just faith involved, but there's grace also involved. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So I understand justification comes by faith, comes by grace, comes by His name, and comes by His Spirit. I read in James 2, 24 that a man, a man is justified, and know what this scripture is, and it's not being contradictory. A man is justified and not by faith only. Because whenever James states this, James is in a discussion on how faith without works is dead. In other words, faith without works is a non-existent faith. Right? And so if the writer said, when we come to Christ, if we're justified by faith, accompanying that faith, it's a, if it's a real faith, it's a living faith, there will be works with that faith. Uh-huh. Now watch me now. Now the works that are done with that faith are not the works per se of the flesh. It's the, it's, it's the wooing of the spirit of the Lord being starting to be obedient to the Lord and obedient to his word. Amen. As listed in Galatians 5, we're, we're being led by the spirit. We're starting to walk in the spirit. And there's some things that begin to materialize when we do that eventually. The fruit of the spirit. And as a result, as a result of being obedient to the spirit of God and allowing that to work in our lives, we have things start to come out of our lives that look just like Jesus that identifies with Jesus when we permit God's spirit to live in our life, amen, in our character, in our virtues of Jesus Christ, they start coming out of our life and we start becoming law-abiding citizens. But we're doing it in the spirit. Amen. Whatever I understand this, then this justification that I receive, this faith, this grace, the spirit of God in his name, all these things is due largely to my obedience to the compelling of that spirit that I feel and I am being drawn by. Now, if you'll allow me to go back to Acts 13 because it wasn't finished there. In Acts 13, when Paul finished talking to the Jews in Antioch, in their synagogue, the Bible says when he finished, the Gentiles told him, Paul, well, you know, I don't know how thick the walls of the synagogue was. It might just have been a tent. 
But they evidently must have heard enough that it interest in. They said, Paul, we'd like for you to talk to us about the very same thing on the next Sabbath, next week. Now, let me tell you, you want to talk about making a preacher happy. Have a group tell you, tell you, we want to hear the same thing next week. I'm trying to, I'll tell you right now. Hallelujah. We, we threatened in the end of the year, talking about all these radio stations, they always put together the best of 215 and they replay them. I told them I'd just go preach some of the sermons I'd already preached this year and close of the year because they do it on the radio. So, you know. But, but they, said, they said, Paul, we'd like to hear the same matter next week. And so a week later, almost the Bible says almost the whole city, a great multitude showed up to hear what Paul had to say. Amen. But whenever he started preaching to the Gentiles, this didn't settle well with the Jews that had been under this long time frame of keeping trying the law to the best of their ability, thinking that that was going to grant them entrance into the kingdom of God. And so when they heard that Paul was telling these Gentiles who had not lived under that Jewish law, telling them, you can get your start with God right now if you have faith and believe and allow his spirit and his name to walk. And you can walk in that and you can become spirit and law-abiding citizens. That kind of put a little burr in their saddle to think, but for years, we've been trying to keep and do all this stuff. They couldn't savor that Paul said, this is what God's required now. There's enlightenment there. There is Christ now that's been born and, and he's been crucified and all this is, it wouldn't have been possible prior to that. But now all this has taken place, so now you can go from here. They weren't relishing in the idea they could go forward. They were begrudging all the years of the past. And saying, who do these Gentiles think they are? They can just waltz in and get the same benefits that we are now getting. It's kind of like the parable with, with those that went out in the early morning, the, the, the afternoon, the evening, that went to work for the man. When they came in, they all got the same pay. And some are saying, well, I've been here all day. And I'm getting the same. Well, that's what was happening here. The Gentiles were kind of the latecomers, but they were getting the same privilege through the spirit of Jesus Christ as those that had been around for a long, long time. Well, when the Jews heard this, they were envious of this, and the Bible says they began to speak against Paul, and they began to contradict what he had to say. You know what they started saying? No, honey, you can't, you can't just receive the Spirit of God and walk in the Spirit and make it to heaven and, and have good relationship with God. You got to do this, 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 and not that, that, that. But you got to do all that within yourself, in your flesh. Well, they could not accept this idea that the law of Moses could not justify them. They could not accept that idea. They could not accept that belief. They could not accept that you just surrendered to the Lord and do what the law could not do, the Lord through you. They couldn't accept all that. And so they were doing, though, the very same thing that Paul had already warned against them that had been prophesied. The Bible says in Acts 13 and verse 40, rather, Acts 13 and verse 40, he spoke to those Jews before he ever spoke to the Gentiles, and this is what he told them. He said, beware, therefore, lest that, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. He said, behold, ye despisers, and wonder and perish for I work a work in your days a work which ye shall in no wise believe though a man declare it unto you what Paul had already told those Jews he said be careful that the prophecy that was spoken of old doesn't come true in your lives that I'm working a work of being able to walk in the spirit and you not accepting it uh huh even though I'm here speaking it to you and declaring it to you not as some third 
point of information. Paul says, I, I, I was right there with the Lord. He spoke these, he taught me these things and now I teach you. He said, but if you don't watch yourself, you're going to be doing the very thing that the prophecy said would happen and you're going to be denying what God can do for you in your life. And so the Bible says, Paul and Barnabas departed from Antioch because of all this taking place and they went on to Iconium and they preached there. But here we are again, Jews and Gentiles. The city is divided and what they held were true. Some thought you're justified by the law. Works. Others said, no, we believe the message that Paul's preaching were justified by the spirit. Fruit. As a matter of fact, the Bible says there were some unbelieving Jews in Acts 14 too that began to have influence over the Gentiles, began to have sway with the Gentiles, and there started a rumor that if Paul didn't get out of Dodge, so to speak, he was going to be stoned. And so Dodge, or Dodge, Paul just gets up and goes. He might have dodged then went up and went. But nevertheless, he got up and went, then he went to Lystra. This is another city. This is another city of Galatia. He went to Lystra and look at this. The Bible says they were well received. If you read about the account in Acts 14 about Lystra, these people are coming up. They're wanting to make Paul and Barnabas gods. This is Jupiter and this is Mary. We're going we're to put sacred. Paul says, no, we're men just like you are. We just come bearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they were wanting to reverence them, but Paul persuaded them otherwise. And wouldn't you know? And there's nothing as bad as having church trouble, but it's even worse when you take it to some other church. The people are receiving him well, and wouldn't you know, there's some people from Antioch that got some people together from Iconium, and they all got together, and they went to Lystra to try to cause troubles about you need to be justified by the law and not justified by the spirit and the Bible says they accomplished their deed there they stoned Paul left for dead pulled him outside of the city they supposed that he was dead Paul came to his senses I guess the stars quit going around his head and birds and he got up and you know what he did he wasn't dissuaded he went right back into the city the next day and then he went on to Derby and he preached the same message there as well and after he got done preaching in Derby, now this is Paul. Now he's either got a lot of faith or he's a little bit shy of a French fry of a whole Happy Meal. He got done at Derby. He goes on preaching this justification by the Spirit. He preaches at Derby and he goes back to Lystra and checks on him there, goes back to Iconium, checks on him there, goes back to Antioch, checks on him there. He's confirming the souls. He's exhorting them to stay in the faith. Why? Because he knew the competing voices that he was up against. And he knew that nothing of that would work that that could never save a person, that could never get them into the kingdom of God, that they were fighting a losing battle. He was trying to confirm the souls. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen through and by Christ. You getting in him and him getting in you, no, no other way. And so based upon all these experiences, Paul then later sits down and writes the letter to the Galatians because as soon as he left that region, he knew what was going to happen. People's going to start contradicting his message about walking in the Spirit, receiving the Spirit of God, comparing their ideas of walking in the flesh and trying to fulfill the law. And so whenever Galatians starts, he tells us in the book of Galatians about how there's no other gospel. He said, there's some purporting another. He says, but I'm telling you, there's no other. No other gospel. As a matter of fact, you read the book of Galatians and it is the bill of rights for Christian life. 
It is the Magna Carta, so to speak, for Christian liberty, the Emancipation Proclamation for Christians. Because Paul, and I think this, when you read Galatians and read, Paul is almost writing a little bit with righteous indignation here. He's kind of short on his salutation. He gets right to the point. I marvel that you're so soon removed from the truth, from the faith, from the gospel. He's disturbed because there's people telling him this is the way, through your flesh. When Paul said no, it can only be achieved through the spirit and through the crucifying of your flesh. So he's got a bone to pick with these people that are propagating something different. He says in Galatians 5 and verse 7, he said, guys, he said you did run well, but who? Who did hinder you? There is a fly in the ointment around here. Who did hinder you? He said, he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. He even said in verse 12, I would they were even cut off which trouble you. Let me tell you, whenever it comes to false doctrine, false doctrine has to be handled. False doctrine should never be allowed to be pushed under the rug or incarcerated. The only thing that we should do with false doctrine is totally annihilate it, totally kill it. Because if you allow it to stay around, it's going to take root and try to grow in the life of the people again and again and again. He said, I would those that troubled you was just, just totally cut off. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so now the problem with the Galatians is they're being led to believe that they could express love, joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit, etc., and be acceptable God in, with God, but totally independent of the working of His Spirit. I, and, I, and we'll get into this in the weeks to come, but people express, well, I have love and I have joy and I have peace, and that's great, and we do. There can be counterfeit of those things as well. But notice the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit. We all times get it a little back. We say fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, singular, of the Spirit are those nine virtues. Those nine make up a solitary fruit. And so if you are bearing love and you have the fruit of the Spirit, temperance, goodness, long-suffering, all those other things will be there in some magnitude. And so whenever someone's trying to do it in the flesh, though, you know what you'll find? They might have joy, but they don't have temperance. That's a sure sign that it's something counterfeit rather than being of the Spirit. Because if it was of the Spirit, all nine are present, maybe in different magnitudes, but they'd be present. Amen. Amen. But he's telling them you can accomplish this without the, the Spirit. But in reality, the relationship with God, the indwelling of the Spirit of God, would then engender, if you will, that love and that joy and that peace and all this fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit comes from a spiritual root system. The Bible says we've got to abide in the Spirit in order to be abiding in the law. Can't do it any other way. The Bible says in John 15 and 4, Christ was given his dissertation about I am the vine and ye are the branches. And he said in John 15 and verse 4, speaking to his disciples, he said, abide in me. And I in you. As the branch, that would be them, cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you accept ye abide in me. He said, I am the vine, in verse 5. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. 
Well, we could just blow this whole thing up around these words about abiding in him and he in us. You abide in him through baptism in Jesus' name. He abides in you through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You got to be born again of water and of spirit. Not, he said it's not just a one-way street. Me just, no, you, I abide in you and you abide in me. And with that being the case, your branch will bear fruit. But it's not fruit of the branch, it's fruit of the vine. And so he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Now think here with me for a moment. We may have all been guilty of this a time or two. I know my children have. And I think it was just maybe this year, or they might do it every year for all I know. But If you have ever taken a branch or a twig that has fell off a tree, Kids do this. I know I did it when I was small. And they take that, that branch and they get my shovel out of the garage. And they make a hole. Most holes in my yards are because of my kids, not my dog. And they make a hole in the yard and they take that branch and they stick it down vertically in that hole. They put the dirt back on it and there's that little twig sitting there. They come in the house, Dad, can I have a glass of water? Well, sure, they're not thirsty. Their new plant is. And they go out there and they, they water that little branch around there and they planted it in the ground. Now, if you've ever had a kid or you've done that yourself, you know what these verses of John 15 is telling about because my kids have attempted this. And they watered that thing and I know it got plenty of sunshine during the summer. And they dug a good hole. And there's other stuff growing in that dirt and soil, but you know what? It never did grow. It never did grow. I mean, similarly, just think of this. You could even get a branch that was on an apple tree with a few apples on it. And you could take that branch with a few apples on it, stick it down in the ground, plant it, put the dirt around it, get your water, get your miracle grow, get your fertilizer, whatever you want, start throwing it around that, and you know what's going to happen? For sure, if you leave the apple, you can probably take the apples off because they're already fruit that came from the vine. But you're not going to see no more blossoms. You're not going to see no more fruit come on that twig. It's not going to grow. It's not going to prosper because the branch cannot accomplish growth on its own. It must have a root system. It must have a root system. It must abide in the vine. It must abide, if you will, in the spirit. Be led by the spirit. Walk in the spirit. And when it does that, it will produce spiritual things. But aside from that, it will not accomplish anything. That's no worthy. That's spiritual or eternal. Now here's the thing. It's the fruit of the spirit. So the fruit belongs to the spirit. Not the human spirit. The capital S spirit. The spirit of God belongs to the spirit and so one would expect that the fruit of the spirit that would come about in people's lives would testify of the character of God and I believe that and, and I'm hurrying along here today but if you will and I'm just going to go through a few scriptures here the character of God we know is love we understand that first John four sixteen tells us that God is love joy character of God Zephaniah 3.17 tells us, speaking of God, he will rejoice or joy over thee with joy. So he, that's something that he is portrayed and has. Peace, Hebrews 13.20, the Bible says, the God of peace. Long-suffering, 
Second Peter 3, 9 tells us the Lord is long-suffering to us. Gentleness, good synonym for that is also kindness. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 7, his kindness, speaking of God, God's kindness is toward us. Psalms 27, 13, speaking of goodness, the Bible says, see the goodness of the Lord. Lamentations 3.23, faith, or if you will, faithfulness. The Bible speaks of God, great is thy faith, or great is thy faithfulness. Matthew 11.29, speaking of meek, Christ said unto those, he said, I am meek and lowly. Isaiah 42.14, he spoke in Isaiah when he was speaking of coming against the people, showing his temperance or his self-control, if you will. He said, I have long time refrained myself. What is, that is long-suffering. That's temperate. So we see right here all of these scriptures speaking about God in regards to his love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all of the fruit of the Spirit. Then it is, we're not taken by surprise then, that in the scripture, you and I, those who are believers, have faith, saved by grace through faith, have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. It is no surprise then that God would command us to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives not because we can do it in our flesh, but because we allow him to do it through our flesh. Because the Bible says in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 39, he told the disciples, he said, love the Lord, love your neighbor. Ask him for some fruit. He tells us in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice, or if you will, joy in the Lord always. First Peter 3, 11, be patient or long-suffering, if you will, to all men. Colossians 3, 12, put on, he says, kindness or gentleness. Galatians 6, 10, he said, let us do good, goodness, let us do good to all men. Revelations 2, 20, 2 10, the Bible says, be thou faithful, faith, faithful unto death. 2 Peter 2, 24, he said, be gentle or meek unto all men. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 and 6, add to knowledge temperance. Self-control. Now he's telling us to do all this. And it's no surprise because he has lived out these things himself. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Whereas the verses before that setting was the works, plural, of the flesh. Now we may produce the works of the flesh. And we do. And they all don't have to show up like the fruit does. Because they're varied. Fruit, works, plural. You, 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 you might be a, an adulterer and have strife and not have no problem with murder. God bless your heart. That might be the case, but when it comes to the fruit, you're going to have them all. And so the works, the works is something that is produced by the flesh, but the fruit is something that is produced by the Spirit. It's produced by the Spirit of God in us when we cooperate with that Spirit day by day by day with its leading. Now, someone once said this. They said, hey, no stream can of itself ascend higher than its source. You have, a, you have a stream that sources up in the mountains. Its elevation is not going to be higher than what its source is. The fruit cannot then therefore be a product of the flesh because it cannot be higher than its source. Supernatural fruit comes from a supernatural source. To do otherwise is inconceivable. You cannot even do that. And so the Apostle Paul, now I'm coming too close, the Apostle Paul seals the list 
of the fruit of the Spirit with that statement I told you that I was drawing from today. Against such, there is no law. Some other interpretations of that scripture translations, might I say, are this. Against such things, there is no law that can bring a charge. There is no law against behaving in any of these ways. There is no law that says these are wrong. Here is no conflict with the law. In other words, they're saying, now where, when you do the works of the flesh, the Bible said that those that do those cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There's evidently something wrong. But the Bible says you can produce fruit of the Spirit all day long and the law can't bring a charge to what's happening in your life. Because a spirit-abiding citizen is also a law-abiding citizen. Nobody can say anything against love and joy and goodness and gentleness. Can't lay a finger on you. Can't prosecute you for showing gentleness and goodness and mercy. None of that. Amen. Because you're abiding in the spirit. And when you abide in the spirit, you'll be a keeper of the law. When you're abiding with Christ, you'll be an obeyer of his precepts. When you abide with the Lord, you can have heaven as your home. For that matter, it doesn't seem like there's a law against excess. You got too much love on your account today. Shame on you. The fruit of the Spirit is without any regulation, without any law. According to the perspective of men, the law, Old Testament law, was seen both as someone thought the law is restraining me, others seen it as though it was protecting them. But with the fruit of the Spirit, there is nothing, and I say this gingerly, but there is nothing restraining or protecting, if I could say. So the Bible says this, and I say it in 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 11, and I am. The plane is landing. I see the torment. The Bible says, but we know, Paul's telling this to Timothy, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Now listen to me. There is no way possible you can accomplish that in your flesh. The only way that the law can be good and properly appropriated is through the Spirit. He says in verse 9, knowing this, that the law, look at it, is not made for a righteous man. Why? Because when you live in the spirit, you produce fruit that there's no law again. Hmm. He, says, he says the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless disobedient for the ungodly for sinners for unholy and profane for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers for manslayers for whoremongers for them that defile themselves with mankind for men stealers for liars for prejured persons if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine in other words we can't go on with this list it'll go on all day if there be any other thing that's against sound doctrine that's what the law's for why because when they have the law they see they're sinners and when they understand they're sinners, they're going to be looking for an answer. And so if you ever feel uncomfortable about anything that's said around here, we're just upholding the law to try to get you to recognize where you are positionally. 
You may be a sinner, but we ain't going to leave you without the answer. The Lord Jesus. Because we've all walked the same road. We've all walked the same path. We've all been deficient. We've all been lacking when it came concerning those things. We are sinners born into sin, but he did not leave us without a remedy. Hallelujah. For God gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. And he closes up with this in verse 11. He said, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So the law's good if it's used lawfully. But the law wasn't made for a righteous man. Because the man that's walking in the spirit and that's righteous, he's going to produce things that the law cannot bring any charge against. So since the Old Testament until the life of Christ, there had been... There had never been a true law-abiding citizen. It's terminology here today, law-abiding citizen. Since the Old Testament until Christ, there had never really been a law-abiding citizen. Some had attempted it, but miserably failure with each and every one of them. There had never been a law-abiding citizen. But after Christ, after the work of the cross, after people being infilled by that spirit, all men have the opportunity to be law-abiding citizens because they receive the Spirit of Christ. They receive the Holy Ghost and be led by that Spirit. And the moment that they are, those Spirit-abiding citizens automatically become law-abiding citizens. You'll stand with me today. Hallelujah. There is hope for us all. But please don't, please don't frustrate yourself. Please don't frustrate yourself on trying to do it within yourself. I think Paul was that said it, and even within the book of Galatians, he said the only thing that it takes to frustrate grace, right? The only thing it takes to frustrate grace is to believe that all these things took place because of the law. That these things of fruition, these things that have abounded in your life, that they took place because of the law. That's the only thing it takes to frustrate grace. He said, that, don't do that. That your righteousness have come by the law. No. Your righteousness came because the spirit you received and allowing that spirit to be lived through your life. So if you got out your list this morning, this is what we do, this is what we don't do. Let me tell you ahead of schedule, you'll fail. You'll never be able to accomplish it. But if you'll allow us today just to identify we're sinners. And the generation that we're living in, as far as I un understand and, and perceive things, the harder part of the two is not pointing them to Christ, but getting them to accept who they are. Because we're all good. I got... They are showing their moments when they've shown joy or gentleness and those individual things at individual times. Though they may be liking greatly in other virtues of that single fruit. We just need to accept the idea. I'm no better than Adam. Got the Adamic nature in my life when I was born. I am a sinner. Oh, what a horrible position I'm in. Horrible position I'm in. The law can't do it for me. Working it out in my flesh, you'll never accomplish it. 
But this morning there has been one who has already taken care of that. Christ already kept it through his perfect life. Nailed that flesh, that sin, everything to the tree. He was successful at it. And if you'll receive his spirit today, if you'll receive his spirit today, through that repentance and through that abiding in him and him in you, baptism and filling of the Holy Ghost, you can be a law-abiding citizen because you were a spirit-abiding citizen this morning. We bow our heads all across this building this morning. Hallelujah. We're starting out a new year today. There would be nothing greater or grander than to start out this new year being led of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. Be nothing better than this year to try not to recreate some of the failures of last year because you're trying to do it on your own and within yourself. There is hope for you today. There is hope for you today. The comer could never make himself perfect. He could never do it. But God's spirit, power with that spirit, has the ability to put a perfect spirit inside of your life that can lead and guide you. These altars are open this morning as we close. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.